But if you turn in your Bibles this evening to Matthew chapter number 7. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter number 9. Verse number 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Father, I ask that you would take this passage tonight. Use it in our hearts. Lord, there's something here for each and every one of us. Whether we've heard it a thousand times, or this is the first time it's really been opened to our eyes. Lord, I ask that you would take it and use it in us. Don't let it get away from us. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse number 36, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, the he there, that is God himself, King of kings, Lord of lords. He saw this multitude, but he didn't just see this multitude. He's creator. He saw all of the multitudes. And a multitude is a picture of the lost. But God himself saw the need of the multitudes, the need of salvation, to accept their Messiah. And he pointed out this need of the multitudes to his disciples, and essentially to us. If he hadn't appointed it out to his disciples, would the gospel have been spread, or would they have simply accepted it as themselves, not realizing that God himself is saying, here's the gospel, now take it to the ends of the world. He was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They say that there are over 15,000 religions in the world today. The Jew, back then and in, even today, they're looking for religion. They're looking for the Messiah. But people everywhere are looking to fill a hole in their heart with religion. Many, many times it's religion, whether it's atheism or believing in some sort of a God. But there's only one God. They fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. They weren't believing in the shepherd. They were looking for a shepherd. We can follow man all day long and we'll be led astray. But when we follow the good shepherd, the shepherd, we're going to stay on the straight and narrow. He was moved with compassion on the multitudes, the lost. And he had compassion on them. Our, compassion, uh, our message without compassion is all but dead. There's nothing to it. Yes, we've got the gospel. But you can go to any business meeting. You can talk to anyone and you can get a message, essentially. You can get a point that they're trying to make. But without compassion, do you really want to sit there and hear it? It may be interesting for a time, but it doesn't live inside of you. If we spread the gospel and just give it matter-of-factly, without compassion, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to reach the lost. We have to have compassion to reach the lost. Compassion forces us to do something. Otherwise, there's nothing. 
People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Would you believe that our, one of our presidents said that? But look at the spiritual application it's got. If we don't have compassion for the lost, they're not going to care what we have to say. Look in verses number 38. We'll get back to verse 37 here in a minute. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Here we have a prayer request, a command to pray. However you look at it, that's what it is. We're to pray that God will send forth laborers into his harvest. And why does he do it that way? Why does he tell us to ask him for laborers to go into the field? Much like it did in my own testimony. It got a hold of my heart for a field. And it softened my heart towards that field. And then eventually it grew into a burden for that field to reach them. God does that and does it that way to get our heart involved. Otherwise, with our heart, without our heart involved, it's just physical. We'll put money in the plate for missions, and that's where it stops. But until we get our heart involved, God can use the funds, but He doesn't need the funds. Our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And then take it a step further, He owns those hills. He doesn't need our money. It's just paper. He needs us. He needs our soul. He needs our heart to be involved. When we get a hold of prayer, specifically for missions, it'll take us a lot further. Let me, let me give you an illustration. And it's purely illustration. But... The prayer request is made tonight from a brother or sister in Christ that so-and-so has cancer. Please pray. Okay. Everybody, every, every family in America has been affected by cancer in some form or another. But you know in a, a good church, you know one another. You know when one's hurting more than just this is a neighbor, a friend of a neighbor. You know when it's, when it's something more than that. And you know in this situation that it is. So you ask for more detail. You see, it's not just so-and-so. This person, it's my niece. One thing about that, it's a family relation. It automatically means a lot more to this person. She's three. Now it's a child. And the doctors have said it's terminal. Now, if this wasn't just an illustration, it would get a hold of our hearts in such a way that we would want to bring the church together and beg God to remove this cancer from this child. But the flip side of it, that's the same condition that the lost are in. Now it hits home because we don't pray for the lost as we should. I'll be the first to admit, I don't pray for the lost like I should. But they have the same terminal illness that I've been cured of. Death, because of our sin. My sin's been forgiven. So is theirs, but they haven't taken the cure. 
So we should be praying for the lost like they've got a terminal illness because that's what they've got. And every country around the world has the same terminal illness. We've not reached the world yet. They say that if every church member in America, uh, not, not in America, every church member around the world were to reach one this year and disciple them to do the same, and next year each one became two, in less than 10 years we would reach the world. Why has it taken 2,000 years? Because we've dropped the ball. We as Christians haven't done our job. We haven't reached the lost like we should. God himself has admitted that we won't reach all of the lost because not everyone will be saved. But that gift is to everyone. It's our job to take that gift to them. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. And as you're going over there, turn to Mark chapter 16 as well. The Great Commission. Something here that as I was studying, I noticed that I hadn't noticed before. I'm not going to say that it's new. There's nothing new for the sun, especially when you're talking about Scripture. If there is, then you're twisting it. But something I hadn't noticed before. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So there's three parts of the Great Commission. Teach all nations, baptize them, and teach them to, do, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Essentially, disciple them. So that's the three parts. In the last several decades, at least, we've gotten so focused on the first two parts of the Great Commission. How many have we gotten saved? We don't. We don't save anybody. We might lead them to Christ, but we were the physical people. God Himself, the Holy Spirit, is the one that convicted them of their sin. He's the one that saved them. It wasn't us. And then how many of those that we got saved did we baptize? But we've completely overlooked the third part of the Great Commission. That's to, baptize, uh, that's to disciple them. Our churches would be a lot stronger if we would simply get a hold of that third part and do as we're commanded. It's three parts for a reason. A stool can't stand on two legs. There's three parts for a reason so that churches will be strong and will do the Great Commission like they're told. But go back to the first part of that Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Now go over to Mark chapter number 16 and verse number 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So why the difference in wording? Well, you see, the time that the Bible was written, there was two classes of people. There was people, and there was less than. There was two classes because there was, again, those that had achieved the social status of people, 
and then there was servants and slaves, and if you weren't a Jew, you were a dog. Most, if not all of us in this room, would be dogs. So, why, why does it put it, why, why is the wording differently? You see, the Jews could have reached, the Jewish Christians could have reached somebody, some person, the people status from every country around the world and considered the country reached. But it wasn't until they were told to reach the creature, the less than. Now it becomes a bigger, a bigger uh, problem, a bigger piece of work than just to go reach somebody. They had to reach the nobodies. But then they went over to Mark and preached the gospel to every creature, the less than. So if you will, step back and take a look at the cross. When God himself left heaven, clothed in flesh, became a man, but he didn't come as a man. That was his physical form. He came in the form, the fashion of a servant. Why did he come in a servant, as a servant? Not just to give us the example of servanthood, to serve others, but because he came in the form of a servant, it became a gospel that could reach the servant and the slave. It was able to reach all of us because all of us were servants and slaves to sin. We were in that lost condition, that terminal illness, and because he came as a servant, he wasn't a slave because he wasn't a slave to sin. He was a servant to all those around him. Give us an example, but again, it was able to reach the lowest. If he had come as a, a king, a priest, he would have been what the Jews were looking for then. But he would not have been able to reach in a social gospel the servants, the slaves, because he would have reached the elite and the less than would have been overlooked. But because he went to the publicans, the sinners, he was able to reach us. So why do we look at it the way that Matthew does? Why do we look at for people, those that we have labeled as people, Oftentimes we go for the elite, those that we can reach, those that have the funds. If we bleed red, we should reach them. That's the way it's supposed to be. Over the years, we've had different groups. And in the last 20, not even 25 years, we as Americans have made another group. We've made the Arabs part of that group. Why? because they attacked our soil. And as Americans, rightly so. But as Christians, we don't belong to this country. We're from a higher country. We're only here for a short time. We're looking for a home we've never been to. So we should be taking as many with us as we can, overlooking cultural boundaries and looking at the soul of man. There is one race that is going to get to heaven. Adam's race. 
It's not white. It's not brown. Black. Red. Yellow. It's Adam's race. That's who's going to make it there. So why have we allowed our cultural blinders to eliminate people? We need to go out and reach them. All of them. That's who Christ commanded us to reach. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Notice this. It says preach and it says teach. It does not say reach. One thing Christ, command, uh, Christ guarantees us is we're not going to reach everyone. So if we focus on reaching every single person and being discouraged that we can't, that we haven't, we're going to live a discouraged life. But reaching the ones, heaven rejoices over one. And that should bring rejoicing to us. Then finally, we are, well, well let's look at it this way. We're going and reaching the, the world. But oftentimes, missionaries are looked at, what a sacrifice. And to a degree, it is a sacrifice. But let's put it in perspective. David Livingston said this, if a commission by an earthly king is considered a sacrifice, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of all, that's who's commissioned us. So why is it a sacrifice? It's not. It's the very least that we can do. Turn over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Another way to look at those last two words is the very least that you can do. Look at everything that he gave up. And in our mind's eye, that should have been enough. But then we take another look at the cross. He didn't just go and die on a cross. He was beaten. He had nails put through his hands and his feet. And we put them there. And then we went a step further and we had to mock him. And we put a crown of thorns on his head. We as the lost did that. And he gladly bore it. As the song said this evening, he knew what was coming and he said, Father, I'll be your lamb. I'll be your sacrifice. Because it's, it's all I can do. It's what's needed. It's what's required. Is a sinless, spotless lamb to redeem all of them. Just one lamb. In the Old Testament, one lamb would redeem one person. But not a sinless lamb. The sinless lamb would redeem the whole world. And not just at that time. So there wasn't another spotless lamb needed for every generation. One lamb. That's all. And when we look at it in that mind's eye, we can see that last statement, which is your reasonable service. It's the very least 
that we can do for him. Out of everything that we could sacrifice, everything that we could give to go and to tell others, it's the most joy, but it's the very least that we can do to repay him the debt that we owe. So what are we doing? Are we reaching others or do we need to get started? Where are we on that journey? Are we striving to reach the world around us? Each and every one of us has a different Jerusalem, if you will. But what are we doing to reach it? We have different people that we work with. We all go to different schools, different neighborhoods. What are we doing to reach our neighbors? Are we reaching them? Or do they not even know? Have they even heard? Father, I ask that you would take this this evening. Use it in our hearts. Lord, as I said, there's something here for each and every one of us. I ask that you would drive it home. Lord, there's somebody that each of us can reach. I ask that you would simply help us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.